Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, although I was up really late last night, I had a. I'm on this beer league team with my wife as my defense partner. Oh yeah, Our the game, provincial champion beer league were, team, the yes. River City, the River City um, Pigeons. Pigeons, right. So we uh, the games are all at 10:45 at night, which is not oh. atypical for beer league. But you um, finish playing hockey at midnight. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to get to sleep. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez. Anyway, it's a it's a ton of fun. Now, I have I trouble getting to sleep after watching a late game, let alone playing in one. <laughs> get the old adrenaline going a little bit, you know, and I just can't been, turn uh, it off. I've also been agitated the last few years because I watched this. I don't know if you watch Homeland, that series with Claire Danes about the CIA spy. No. Seven-year series. I watched yeah. season seven. And I usually don't get too worked up about shows, but that was so unbelievably suspenseful. It's kind yeah. of left me a little bit sh- shaken, honestly. Really? So wow. quite a dramatic performance by Claire Drain. Claire, Claire Danes. Danes. I, I remember her as, actress. I remember her as Juliet. She and was great as Romeo Julie and Julia. She was great, and my and she was in my so-called life way back in the nineties. But uh, if you've never seen Homeland, Bruce, you might want to have a look. It's a fantastic series. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Oilers. Yeah, we're going to talk about a few things today. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about the the lack of activity by the Oilers and almost every other NHL team on the waiver wire. If we're you yeah. know. We can. Some people might want to single out the criticism of the Oilers, but everyone else kind of saw it the same way. Oh, they didn't so, take Daniel Sprong. Damn it, Oilers! When uh, every thirty team's, teams all passed on the same guy. Well, not every team has the same wingers as the Oilers, so there's that. We're oh, going to talk this, about. This is true. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about Ken Holland's uh, press conference, where he got a little feisty. Had to like mm-hmm. that, and we're going to talk about um, the Oilers' li- new line combinations, the ever-shifting sands of the Oilers' line combinations they are written in sand on the beach bruce those line yeah. combinations okay so the, the way it comes are, in every 12 hours yes <laughs> totally so the so the uh just like it's been for the last forever uh so the um waiver <laughs> wire there there had been some interesting players somewhat interesting players um more interesting to some than others on the waiver wire josh hosang daniel sprung um Casey Kasem, is that who that is? The goalie? Uh, oh, Casey, Casey DeSmith. Okay, Casey DeSmith. Um, and, and, you know, the Oilers, obviously, they have a lot of players who are not big-name players on the wing right now. Mm-hmm. Thomas Yurcho um, at the top of the list. Um, a name so unfamiliar that only 15 people on earth can pronounce it correctly, in Edmonton at least. Um so uh, the Oilers have a, have a lack of depth, and they've got a lot of unknown players on the wing. Nigard, Yurcho, Kara, Granlin, Archibald, Chase O'Neill. Like th- these aren't exactly guys who scored a lot of goals in the NHL last year, to put it mildly. So, um, what did you think, Bruce? They didn't pick up. They had Sprong scored fourteen goals. He was seen the most obvious guy that they could have just nabbed for nothing. What do you think? Yeah, he was he was the most obvious. I mean, Ho Sang, uh, another one who's not really a goal scorer though. Uh, Sven Sven Berchi, who was tempting, but his his contract was oh, not. Injury history. Why is Vancouver cutting yeah. the guy? If he can play. 
Yeah, Nikolai Goldobin, you know, uh, Marco Dano. I wrote about all these guys in the thing yesterday. And the thing was, they were all, uh, you know, 22, even 22 years old on the waiver wire. A very exceptional case of Daniel Sprong. But 23, 24, 25-year-old guys. Uh, but you know what? Uh, the orders are already kind of chock-a-block with those guys. And, and I mean, take a step back. It's easy to sit back here in a distance and project, say, Nikolai Goldobin as a future top six winger, but the fact is that he's not a top six winger now because if he was, there's no chance in hell his team would be waving him, right? So you're, you need the same kind of blue sky projection of the guys that were on the waiver wire that were already applying to all those guys you just named that Holland added to the uh, uh, roster on the wings this summer. And he's, you know, they're all his guys. Almost none of the Oilers wingers right now are guys that he inherited, he, you know, or, or else he renewed them. Like he re-signed Kara, he re-signed Chason, he re-signed Patrick Russell. And he went out and he got a bunch of other guys, and, and uh, the cherry on top uh, was getting Neil, of course, and getting out from under Luke. Yeah. So, you handpick those guys, Bruce. Like you kind of handpick these guys, like these, yeah. and you bring them all in. And there's a, like an honest competition, right? Guys have worked their way up. Patrick Russell, Joe Gambardella, they're all working for it. They're all, and, and let's face it, on a certain level, a lot of these players are very even in ability. There's not a lot separating them. So you bring in, suddenly, you, you, if you were, you have this kind of honest competition and you jettison some other guy, you say, actually, none of you guys are all really the same, including this guy that we just brought in, if truth be told, is really similar to you. As, and we're going to favor him over you. I think that could create some bad feeling. Like what you need from these bottom six guys is they got to be the team players, the guys who are building the team, fitting in on the team, finding their roles, loving those roles, su support players. And I think there's something to be said for just having that kind of okay you you guys are the guys this is the competition we're not going to upset this and can i just thought bringing in a guy who's not much better than the other ones or if better at all is going to confuse things i mean bertasov was already confusing enough yes. right yeah, so i, I think they'd gone down that that route and they just thought no we can't take a flyer on pontus aberg at this point right. we're gonna you know pontus aberg being the what's that word like the the, the symbol for this kind of player that we've you know, when is the last time a waiver wire player really turned out for a team? And I'm sure there's, but what this all reminds me of, Bruce, and I, I can see your big brains working on this, but what this reminds me of, remember a few years ago, Toronto, the Toronto Maple Leafs took a defenseman who ended mm -hmm. up sitting the whole year, I think. Yeah. And everyone in Edmonton, when he was, when he was taken by the Leafs, I'll have to look this up because now it's bugging me who it is. Um, when he was taken by the Leafs, everyone, had, like, not everyone, many people in Edmonton, the waiver wire junkies were all saying, like, why didn't the Oilers take so-and-so? Like, you know, he could have helped um, our defense and this, that, and the other thing. And But when is the last time? Well, every once in a while, a team will pick up some gem that, uh, you know, doesn't fit or whatever, doesn't click with the coach or line mates or whatever in his old team. I'm thinking, like, Paul Byron. You know, Montreal got him from Calgary, as I recall, and he scored better part of 20 goals on his new team. You know, that was like a theft. But it wasn't like a superstar, and it wasn't like a core player, or, uh, you know, a guy that, you know, became an integral to the team. He was a useful part. And on the waiver wire, that's really the best you can hope for. And I'm, I'm on board with the take that um, a lot of it, there's so much, um, these are human beings, 
And sometimes we forget that. And we play NHL 19 and we plug a guy in and we plug a guy out. Yeah. And you don't know what the background is. You don't know what the negotiation with the guy was. You come on board, we're going to give you an honest chance. Oh, no, wait a minute. We like this kid that some other team cut loose because he's not good enough for their team, but we think he's better than you, so get lost. I mean, there's some of that. And there's some of it's also ego on the part of the GM saying, well, I've already constructed my team. Why would I want to go out and pick off somebody else's rejects and have to reshuffle the deck? And so... Often in the preseason, you see, in fact, I think these two waiver claims today, uh, one goalie, one defenseman, were the only two of the entire preseason. Every day, there's names on the wire, and every day, someone like Friedman would come on and say, they all cleared. And today, two of them didn't clear. Uh, but that's it. And all of the forwards, which it looked like a pretty decent crop of forwards on the waiver wire, every single one of them cleared. So and that, that's... So the defenseman I was thinking of, and I, I think this is the guy, is Frankie Corrado. Oh, yes. Yeah. He was the, like, when he was on waivers, it's like, the Oilers should take this guy. Like, he's going to be the answer, blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, what a smart pickup by the genius Toronto Maple Leafs. And <laughs> Well, I'm not sure anyone's said quite that. But they did say, oh, I do remember people saying, Oilers had priority over Toronto. They should have took this guy because he was a kind of a good skating right shot defenseman but he uh, you're right he, he sat in the press box for most two, over, of the season yeah over two years he played 41 yeah. games for the maple leafs had six points and minus 12 so there you go difference maker yeah anyway i'm not saying you, you should never pick up players on the waiver no, war. i mean and, and there are times like during the season like last year picking colby cave up on waivers Small thing that it was, but Kyle Brodziak had been struggling to that point. The Oilers were at bottom six was struggling, and Colby Cave didn't come in and score a bunch of points, so he didn't solve that problem, but he did come in and play some half-decent hockey and, and did buttress the lineup a little bit. And But that was a specific fix partway through the season where the right guy came down, Shirelli knew the guy and thought, oh, he can help us a bit, and he did help a bit. Maybe a goalie now and then might... Uh might make sense like it's maybe better to take a waiver wire goalie than trade for al montoya who has a yeah year on your contract but it's hard to, it's hard to anticipate in october 1st that some your goalie might be injured your second goalie might be injured on december 15th yeah we don't know if koskinen will you know. flop or smith will flop or if both of them are, uh, will be okay like we we might have a, some horrible foreboding about that but yep. we don't know all right bruce let's move on to holland's press conference so it was sure. an interesting thing there was a little bit of controversy in Oilerland uh, after this waiver wire thing and in the, the i thought the interesting thing first of all was holland bang right there to answer the questions about it good for him nice. and i think that kind of accountability it doesn't matter if the team isn't winning honestly it doesn't matter I, how good you are at pr but it, i think it, it did this this was a really interesting thing that happened right away. Bang Holland's there answering all the questions. Good for him. Yeah. And then, and then right on the radio right after to, to do more of the same. And, you know, I guess start of the season is one of the sort of GM needs to speak to the fans, but he did speak and I didn't see him. I just heard him, but I'm guessing he wasn't wearing a tracksuit. <laughs> did Shirley wear a tracksuit? He, he did. He did. He strikes me as, as, as being a professional Holland does. And yeah. that, brings at least some degree of, of, of um, uh, security is not the word, but uh, uh, he gives the impression that he knows what the hell he's doing and, well, he, and his, what he says kind of hangs together. He was part what of a bad, 
part of a management team that made the playoffs 25 years in a row. Yep. And you got to learn a thing or two in those 25 years. And, and, and you have to have some spine, and he showed it. So it was, there was an interesting moment where Sportsnet's Mark Spector, um, a former journal colleague of mine for a long time, um, and a guy who does a lot of good work on the Oilers, I believe, um, said that um, he 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 kind of put it to Holland, like you know, um, he suggesting like Oilers fans have been awfully patient here, and you can't tell them that the team might not make the playoffs. And all of a sudden, Holland jumps in, and he says, "I don't think I've said that. You might have said that. Don't put words in my mouth. What I've said from day one is that our goal is to compete for a playoff spot." And, um, you know, I don't, I, I think actually Speck's characterization there of kind of what Holland was saying s- s- didn't strike me as like it was ringing some bells. Like I haven't heard them beating on a drum. We're making the playoffs in, in 2019, 20 or 1920 as Holland keeps calling it. Yeah. yeah um, I keep going back a century every time I hear that. Yeah. I know that like, we need to get, we need to go out and get Sprague Cleghorn to solidify the defense. <laughs> <laughs> Put the fear of God in every other team. <laughs> Frankie Fredrickson's still playing. All right. Uh, so um, anyway, so so I liked. Uh, I didn't mind Specter's characterization. I thought it was accurate, actually. And but Holland really jumped all over it, and and he essentially he said, you know, no, where we want to be in the playoffs, we want to compete for a playoff spot. And he laid out his plan for that. You know, he said we've got a nucleus of players. We need to surround them better. On the short term, on the one year, on the 1920, look, our goal is to put some veteran players on the bottom part of the roster and compete for a playoff spot. So this is um, the key idea that he addressed a number of times. He kept came, came back to two or three times during these interviews is this group of players that he's brought in um, who he thinks will make a big difference in the bottom six, or he's hoping, you know, he doesn't right. know. And he says, you, you don't, you don't always get it right. He knows that. But it, you know, it, you know, he maybe it will work out that way, Bruce. So, what do you think? First of all, of this idea of bringing in forwards, not trading anything for them, not giving up anything for them, just just kind of the like odds and ends players, if we're completely mm-hmm. honest, who he thinks can make a difference. Like you know, Darcy Hardachuk did mm-hmm. back in the day for the yeah, yeah, right, Andre. right, right, yeah. Yeah, we got Eric Belanger now. Well, we can trade Andrew Cogliano for a draft pick two years down the road. Yeah. Okay. So what start. do you think? Let's, what what do, do I? Think? What do I think? I've been actually been writing about this a lot throughout the summer because roster building, as you know, is one of the things that, that I'm really keen on following. How do you bake, build your team? How do you go about it? And I've got a, a new man at the helm here, but a very experienced man who's seen a few rodeos over the years, and it became apparent fairly quickly that the target group was guys, he called them 24 to 28, I'd even say 25 to 28-year-old guys, mostly 26 to 28-year-old guys, um, that he called professionals and whatever. They're near the peak of their of their career. And he said they're pros, whether they're coming from the NHL uh, or whether they're coming from Europe. And certainly he added, uh, uh, well, three three players from Europe, uh, two, two forwards. Uh, maybe you don't give Holland credit for uh, Joel Pearson, but certainly for uh, Haas and for uh, Negard you do. He went and got uh, Yurko, who he knew from uh, Detroit, who was an AHL player last year, but he's, he fits in the Yurcho. He fits in the same uh, 
category. 26-year-old player. He's got a few miles on the odometer. He's near his peak, and he knows his time is running out, and this is his chance. And then on top of that, you add all of, you know, Grandland, Archibald, uh, down the middle, uh, uh, the uh, um, Cheyenne, and... You look at that team all of a sudden. It's very, it's quite experienced. Like they, they even, like a couple of those Europeans, obviously with no NHL experience. But it's a young team. I mean, Ethan Bear is the youngest player on the team, and he's 22 years old. And they've only got like three or four guys that are under the age of 25. And what I particularly noticed about the um, about the additions was they were all signed to one-year contracts, and mostly they are guys old enough that they'll be UFA at the end of the year. Holland doesn't mind taking that chance. He's because he knows he's not keeping all of these fellows. Uh, if somebody hits it out of the park, you know, he might be a little more expensive to re-sign him, but Shirelli uh, uh, got into a world of hurt signing guys to two-year deals, and we're still yeah. paying for that. We're paying, still paying for the second year Eric Griba, uh, paying for the second year Kyle Brodziak. Uh, paying for the second year what turned out to be Sam Gagne after a series of transactions of guys with term remaining because that was the only way you could deal. And they've got, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's two-year deal seemed reasonable at the time, but the second year is not a, even a lead pipe cinch. The one-year deal, um, Holland's got a, a million options at the end of the year, and some of those options are the young kids that now have a little bit of breathing room uh, to develop further down in the AHL, and that seems to be the way they're going with most of them, with Ethan Bear being the, the, the one obvious exception. You know that movie, Bruce, where uh, Matt Damon goes to Mars? What's that yes, one called? The Martian. The Martian. So everything goes to hell when he's up there, right? There's a big storm, and then he, he decides he's going gonna to live, and he says, we're going to science the hell out of this problem uh -huh. and i i see ken holland coming into edmonton and saying we're gonna daniel clary the hell out of this problem because <laughs> so daniel clary i was just looking daniel clary was 26 in his he first year. three goals the year before he got, I think. well he got three goals his first year in detroit oh was it okay but um <laughs> they but he became a really valuable role player for three or four years in detroit and I think that's that's kind of the idea. He's 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 trying to get five, six, seven guys like Daniel Clary, twenty six years old, about uh, been through a lot as a pro player, been through enough to know you better do what you you better do what the coach has said, and you better do it like a you know as well as you possibly can and enthusiastically as you can at all times. That's got to be Daniel Clary in his first year in the Red Wings because he's been through it all. He's he knows he's not the hot shot anymore, and so that's what all these players are. And I, I like this idea. So I like it a, for a couple of reasons. I mean, it's not like the owners haven't brought in veteran role players in the past, but they like to bring in, they often brought in guys in their 30s who are kind yep. of past it. This has been a constant theme of me bitching about this for, uh, for some time now because it's never really worked very well. I mean, the best case scenario was Mark Letestu, who kind of worked for a year. Who worked for a year? I'll give Letestu that. But he, I don't think he worked in the uh, final year or two of his contract or whatever that was. Oh, and he, and none of the other ones, none of the other ones worked. In fact, most of them were utter disasters uh, here on more than one year contracts. Mm -hmm. So I like that. And the other thing that he did that I really liked here. So he brought in guys at the right age and he paid the right price. You know, Shirelli oh. tried to, to, um, he, he went from both ends. 
he brought in some older guys on uh, on bigger money contracts and traded for them. And they often had a couple years on their deals, like Korpakoski had, I think, two two years when he came in, and um, Latestu got the contract and uh, Brodziak two year deal. So I didn't like like those moves. But then he also tried to, he paid a huge price for Griffin Reinhardt, right? Trying to get that that player in the right age group to come in and help the team right away. But he just, it, this would be the equivalent almost of trading the, the ninth round draft pick, Broberg, for I don't know, like some guy who hasn't really panned out in another city as a defenseman or a forward. And um, they didn't do that. He paid mm-hmm. the right price for these guys, which was zilch, just the price of their one-year contracts, almost yep. all of them a million dollars yep. a year. Yep. So good, good. you know, I like, in theory, Daniel clearing, Daniel clearing the hell out of this problem on the Oilers was a, was a great idea. And it's, I think we both advocated it uh, for, for some time now that this should be the approach. Well, given, given the amount of cap space he didn't have, you know, yes. which is very, very little. I mean, if you look at the sextet of forwards that he signed, which was uh, uh, Shane, Archibald, and Granlund that were NHL forwards, Yurcho from the AHL, Haas and uh, Negard from Europe, and they were all 26 years old, give or take a year. And the six of them combined cost $5.8 million, and they all signed one-year contracts. Sweet. So next year, maybe two of those guys are back, maybe three or four if everything works great, but he's going to have options. He's not stuck with a guy that's, you know, 35 years old and injured, and he's not stuck with a guy who's... uh, uh, you know, had a poor year, but you have to, you know, he's under contract, so you're stuck with him. Uh, he's going to have options, and in, in the end, maybe it's going to be a case where Oilers wind up losing a guy that you wish they could have kept. But I'd rather that than getting the whole uh, uh, the whole 50-man list bogged down with, uh, uh, with guys that have a uh, uh, term remaining after they've proven they're not really going to cut it. Okay, so the last thing that he th- that we'll cover that he said was that he talked about developing prospects, mm-hmm. and um, you know they were asking him. You know, I think they I don't know if they named anyone. I think it was Jim Matheson of the Journal asking him this, and they, I don't know if Maddie named anyone, but I think he, you know Evan Bouchard came to mind. Maybe Tyler oh. Benson. How long are these? How long are these top players going to stay? In uh, how long are they going to bake in the bake? You know, how long will they be in uh, the AHL? And and because w- what we're used to, Bruce is. Um, Drysdale goes down for a week, he's back. Nurse goes down for a week, he's back. Pulley-Arvey goes down for a, a week or maybe a month at most or two months most, and he's back. The the, the top prospects, <laughs> even if they get sent there, they don't stay there. Yeah. But Holland really put a kibosh on that. He mm-hmm. said, you know, Christmas, prob- you know, probably maybe the full year. And unless they're going to be playing top six minutes or top four minutes, it sounded like in Edmonton, like the role that he envisions... Mm-hmm. Benson or Bouchard playing in the future, right. they're not going to come up here and play on the fourth line or the third pairing. Like that's not how it's going to happen necessarily. So, what did you think of that uh, plan that he was spelling out? Uh, I think that's probably um, the Ken Holland that everyone was expecting. Frankly, uh, the uh, overbake in the bake. Uh, <laughs> uh, what they call overripen. Those are Bob Nicholson's words. Yeah. Well, this now is right now. This is right down the alley of, of that. Um, and because they now do have these 26-year-old options up here, they can 
take a little bit more time. Now, I'm still of the mind that if Evan Bouchard comes out and he just crushes it out of the gate in Bakersfield, especially if, uh, say, Ethan Bear and Joel Person struggle, then he might be the option number three or something, and, and we might see him before Christmas. But I don't think we'll see him in October the way we saw Nurse uh, that one year. And Dreisaitl. His first pro year, or Dreisaitl in his you know, second pro second. year. Although Dreisaitl, like... Honestly, he, he should never have gone down that year. That was that down. was uh, that was a boondoggle on uh, bonus cushion that uh, Shirelli got himself into. Uh, that's that's a whole nother story. Uh, but uh, the other guys, I mean, there are enough. I mean, even if you look at the roster now, there's 14 forwards on it uh, with a couple more on on the injured list. Well, one more uh, that's going to come back in Riley Shane. So there's 15 forwards on the list. And I'm not sure you can look at that forward and say, oh, that guy can't play. He's going to be out. I mean, we're going to have to see some games. And we're going to see some shuffling from within the spares that they already have on hand before they even think about going down to Bakersfield, barring, of course, uh, an injury bug. Well, that uh, that Bakersfield team, and I know most people aren't excited about the Bakersfield Condors, I but, but, I, but I am, like we are, because <laughs> we, we actually watch these games now and then, and like we're into it. But I, I'm really like, what a... There's never been an Oilers farm, like, you know, except the lockout year when Taylor Hall and Dugan Hodges. Well, yeah, that, that, that doesn't count. But like in terms, like this is a this farm team is good enough. If they play the Oilers in a, in five games, they might win one of them. I mean, when have we ever like when could you ever honestly say you've seen that? Like this is a really good young team. I mean, they'd have to get better goaltending, and the Oilers would have to get crappy goaltending. I'm factoring that in here, Bruce. But uh, they have. I, I was going to make the old joke that uh, they might be able to beat the Oilers, but how would they do against an NHL club? <laughs> <laughs> but that would be mean, so I'm not going to do it. So they have like their top line. Let's just quickly. Uh, we won't dwell on this. Yeah, the lines. Line, yeah, Benson, Marodi, Curry. That was their big unit last year. Then they got Gambardella Malone and Yamamoto as their second line. They've slotted Yamamoto in there on their shutdown line. Their third line looks like it's going to be Maximov, McLeod, and Gagne, Sam Gagne. Oh. And, um, you know, Cameron Hebigs, the 10th the, uh, forward. And Luke Esposito, who is a, a really good AHL player. And then on defense, they've got Lagasin and Bouchard as their top pairing. Low, or, or Lowe and Jones as their top pairing. And then they got Samarukov and Dei Harney with Skinner and Sterrett and Wells and that. So, wow, that is, uh, that's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching these games. Yeah, I intend to watch quite a few more games this year than last. I think, you know, there's a lot of the future that's down there. You know, last year, a lot of these guys were in the junior ranks or elsewhere. Now they're turning pro, uh, you know, Bouchard and, and uh, uh, McLeod and Maximov, of course, uh, and Sam Samorikov. Those are, those are, interesting players and they're adding to most of what was already a first place team in in bakersfield uh so the team is almost too stacked like today i hear they they sent Ostap safin down to wichita so he can get some real ice time in the echl and mm-hmm. i mean that's what the echl team is for and it's and it's a good logical move but it's nice to have such depth that they're not saying, well, we penciled off Staff Sapin into the top six, you know, come hell or high water, we don't, don't have any other choice. Uh, and that's not the situation at the moment at all. So, and yeah, we were, go ahead. I just said we were also going to talk about the Oilers lines. We are. Let's do uh, yeah. that. Yeah, let's yeah. do that. So, um, 
the ever-shifting lines, as I as I mentioned uh, previously, and they are like they've changed day to day now. Yep. And and in fact, what we're seeing now, it are lines that we never. I don't believe we ever saw these lines in the preseason games. Like he's now moved to lines, yeah. uh, except for no, we have never seen these lines in preseason games. I'm quite mm-hmm. certain of oh. this. Not one of them. Not one of the combinations that now they're you know they're. Presumably, these are the lines that we're going to see on opening night, Bruce, because right. you're getting pretty. They got to practice together. Well, I thought so that we, yesterday, but I'm yeah, wrong so because they're all different. different. <laughs> so we had the three. We had McDavid, RNH, and Drysaddle at center yesterday. But now we've got Negard, McDavid, and Neal as the top line. Drysaddle, RNH, and Cassian as the second line. Kara, Cave, and Archibald as the grind line. Cave taking the spot of Riley Sheehan, who's injured. Right. Uh, Granlin, Haas, and Chason as the fourth line and Yurko and Patrick Russell as the spare forwards and the defense are just, we won't get in the defense cause they, they, they look like what we've seen. So, so what do you think of those lines? Do you like well, them better than yesterday's lines? Yurko has gone from McDavid's left wing to a spare part in one day. I guess he must've missed the net or something. I don't <laughs> too often yesterday. I mean, who knows? I mean, that, that's the thing. They have so many players that are sort of at equivalent level to one another that there's a ton of com- competition and there's going to be a, a lot of churn, uh, to use an old Chirelli term, uh, uh, within the lines. Uh, Negard adds some real speed on McDavid's wing. I that, like that. Uh, that gives, uh, and, and Neil, of course, is more of, this, more of the sniper, uh, not the speedster. Uh, Drysaddle and R&H. Now, that's a pair of... Uh, that we never saw last year. It was either McDavid and Drysaddle or McDavid and RNH, but it was never Drysaddle and RNH. And now they're together. And, you know, they played together uh, that year we just talked about where Drysaddle got called up in October. He went on the line with RNH and Taylor Hall at that time. And that was the Oilers' second line behind uh, the McDavid line. And they were brilliant for two games. And then, of course, McDavid got hurt. And that was the end of that experiment. Uh, but, uh, Cassian is no Taylor Hall, uh, but RNH and Drysaddle are a lot more mature players now than they were then. That that looks like a second line that ought to be able to hold its own and then some. Three veteran players. We'll see how it works. Like I mm-hmm. I, I like Drysaddle at center. Obviously, he's a, oh. he's a, he's a center. What I what I like about this roster, Bruce, and and I like this these lines quite a bit more than yesterday's lines. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but I just they just seem to hit the spot better with me. Um. I like James Neal and McDavid. I think um, these guys really know each other well. Maybe they can develop some chemistry. And I, 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 Nygaard's last game was very encouraging. He made some really great plays with the puck. He's very fast. He's looked better and better every day. I like to see Haas in the lineup. What I like most about this entire forward group is they, they essentially now have six players who are NHL plus skaters, like who are above average, at least above average NHL skaters. So that would be Negard, McDavid, RNH, Archibald, um, and Haas, Cassian, mm-hmm. and I guess they have seven dry settle. Leon, so, Leon. So Leon. So they have seven players now. <laughs> last year, last year they had four of these guys, but they've added three. Negard, mm-hmm. Archibald, and Haas. That's a huge change in this roster. Like and you and you've dropped Lucic. Who was who? Who was lacked agility and Brodziak, who might have been the slowest skater in the NHL last year. So um, this is a big difference. 
this is huge. Like, I think it's actually really big. Mm-hmm. It just opens up the game for your team when you got when you got these guys who can fly around the ice. So I'm really encouraged by that overall. I just love that that Holland talked specifically about dressing team speed. It was the first thing out of his mouth when he mentioned the 25 to 28 year old <laughs> Daniel Cleary pack of players. Mm-hmm. So um, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, and the key. I mean, now they 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 will be able to apply at least some pace to. The game from every line and they have um uh, the question is will the defense be able to move the puck up to these guys that they can get the speed going through the neutral zone with the puck and you know bring the attack that way uh the kara cave archibald line uh that's the slowest line and Ar- archibald yeah. archibald's pretty pretty fast and kara kara can get it get it moving i'm not sure he's the most agile of players um but uh, Archibald's a bit of a buzzsaw. I've liked what I've seen out of him, especially as, as training camp progressed. I thought he got a lot better. He was a little bit invisible at first, and really seeing his uh, yeah, uh, I've liked him the, the breadth last of his game in the last uh, last couple of showings. So Granlin's uh, a mystery to me. I don't really uh, know what he brings. So we'll see what he brings. I think he brought some kind of a of a, 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 a injury that he was nursing. Uh, he missed some. Some camp time, he missed a couple of games where you didn't know why certain players weren't in the lineup. Of course, they had more players and spots. But from the sounds of it, he had something, and whether it bugged him for from the beginning of camp or whatever, but he only really got cleared on last weekend. So we have not seen the player that uh, Marcus Granlund's going to be. Alrighty. Well, tomorrow night, big game. Let's see what happens. Tomorrow night. Game for points in the standings. Two points up for grabs against the uh, Vancouver Canucks. So we might as well we might as well get uh, start with a intense rivalry right off the hop. Eight o'clock start. It's a doubleheader. So even though it's a weeknight, it's a late start for uh, home fans. But hopefully, it'll be uh, worth the wait. All right. Thanks for talking today, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Thanks for listening.